that are alive, you are coming with me. What is this bullshit? Good Trash Genre Cast. I love you. I know. Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where people gather around a table and we discuss the films you will not see in a film studies course. This week's film is no exception. There is no joke title name I can make about Jurassic Park 3 being about anything else. Oh, wow. You're just bowing out this just, week. Just can't. Why? How could you do that? That's fair. Okay. It's, it's, yeah, it's Jurassic Park 3. It is the third film in the Jurassic Park franchise. Yeah, so, yeah, we're talking about that, which you're never going to find in a class ever. Nope. No. And, nope. No, I can't. I, it, it would have to be a class specifically about the Jurassic Park franchise. Yes, and why? Ooh. 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 Well, yeah, and why would you teach an entire class over I, that franchise? I feel very uncomfortable now. But I want to introduce the voices speaking to your brains uh, via your headsets right here and right now in the recliner. Who are you, sir? My name is Arthur Gordon, and this is how you play God. Indeed it is. My goodness. Thank you very much for that, sir. Who are you, sir, on my left? My name is Dalton Stewart, and Dustin, you have to believe me. I know this podcast was a stupid decision, but I did it with the best intentions. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Uh, My name is Dustin Sells, and Dalton, I have to tell you, I'm astonished you've lasted five years on this podcast. (laughs) You and me both, buddy. Uh, you and me both. Was that the, was that about him talking to the kid L- about the island? Eight weeks on eight the weeks island. on the island. Okay, that's yeah. That's and what I thought you're you were supposed doing. to say. It's only been that. Long. <laughs> it's only been five <laughs> years. <laughs> Honestly, feels that much longer. Frequently is how I feel. It's only been five years. It's crazy, but uh, here we are talking to your brain uh, about films that don't find their way into a syllabus, and the reason why we do this is because we want to do analysis. That means this is an analysis show, not a review show, which means we might have to make spoilers happen. Um, You may or may not care, since it's Jurassic Park 3, but I want you to be aware. There are, in fact, dinosaurs in this movie. They found a way to bring them back again. (laughs) There there are dinosaurs. Um, People are eating. Just when you thought it was safe to go back into the islands off the coast of Costa Rica. How have the swimming dinosaurs not made it to mainland? You know, I'm thinking the same thing. It's the Lyceum contingency. Okay. But <laughs> anyway. it's uh, <laughs> a very specific reference. We're going to get nerdy, y'all. Uh, but this is the thing. Uh, we are going to have a bit of a spoiler reprieve for you all. We're going to have a synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema. That's Mr. Arthur Gordon himself. Then we're going to have our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews of the film, which shouldn't take long. And then we're going to move into a game, which might involve a mild spoiler. Uh, this was game, not really. And then we'll get into analysis at that point. All spoiler bets are off. So, you've been warned. No further ado. Arthur Gordon, voice the cinema. Let's hear the synopsis, please. A decidedly odd couple with ulterior motives convinced Dr. Alan Grant to go to Isla Sorna, the second engine dinosaur lab, resulting in an unexpected landing and unexpected new inhabitants. 
on the island. That was a thing that I had totally forgotten about Jurassic Park 3. The big dinosaur? No, that it takes place on, on Ila Sorna. Yeah, the, oh. the island from Jurassic Park 2. Site from Lost World. B. Site B. Yeah, yeah, I had forgotten that aspect of this. Mm-hmm. Do we know... Uh, guys, I forget the mythology of Jurassic Park. So let's dive back re- into that real fast just uh, in case our listeners have also completely forgotten what is going on at this point in the franchise. So They napalm Ila Nublar. Do they? Do they? But they don't show it in the film. I know that happens... Between books, yeah, because there is a Jurassic Park two book, right? Michael yes. Yes. wrote a Lost World novel. Yes. Okay, Correct. so the it, between the movies, do we know that that happens on in the the world of the films? I don't know because Jurassic World does take place on Nublar. That's true, but we we know Jurassic Park two takes place at Site B. And yes, trying to and um, it's about uh, not Doctor Grant, um, Ian Malcolm, Malcolm. Ian, Ma- Ian Malcolm, and no, who's the the old British guy? My God. Richard Attenborough. Thank you. Richard Attenborough playing, though. John Hammond. John Hammond is like, hey, Dr. Malcolm, I want you to go to the island and, like, convince people that we shouldn't nuke the dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. Right? Isn't that the gist of the second one? Isn't that why they're there in the first place? Because it turns out that somebody who owns Injun now wants to bring dinosaurs back. But I think they're going to just make it a wildlife preserve is, like, why Malcolm goes. See, I've got the book of the movie running in my head. Yeah, I don't remember. I feel like somebody is going to prove that it's there. And then, in so doing, um, Malcolm has to go save them. And, and then uh, the tag-along kid comes along with him. Okay. But anyway, they go to Site B yes. in Part 2. Uh, and a dinosaur comes back to San Diego. And now Site B has just been left to its own devices up yes. until this movie. So that, that's where we're at. Is uh, Site B is still full of dinosaurs. And, and that uh, T-Rex went on to star in uh, Godzilla with uh, Matthew Broderick. Woo! Yeah, the that that T Rex had a great career afterwards. <laughs> well, you know, he really put on some weight afterward. You know, really, you know, just gym. really bulked up. He really just did, really pulled yeah. a Tom Hardy. Really hit the weights. <laughs> bulked up for uh, that that wonderful. Uh, it will be Nolan, very painful. Nolan Emmerich movie for I mean, you. Talk, talk about that commitment. Roland. You know, I mean, I mean really commitment, commitment to the craft. Yeah. That's what it's about. Even when you are, even when your collection of pixels, you have to take that job <laughs> seriously. <laughs> okay, so I just wanted to, a quick Jurassic Park. Refresher course, especially with uh, um, the, the new franchise happening. I think it's easy to forget that there is a Jurassic Park three because I don't know that anybody really remembers it very. I watched well. it a week ago and I've already forgotten it. I've done my best to remember. Well, with that fine note, Mister <laughs> Arthur Gordon, let's go ahead and hear your thumbs up and thumbs down review. Uh, I don't like it. It's a mess. I, I don't even know if it's a mess. It is. Uh, it's not good. It is very fast it is uh it moves at a breakneck speed it doesn't breathe and uh, i kind of like that type of pacing uh but i like that type of pacing when it's got some uh, character and story mixed in with it and this really feels like once we get to the island all of that stuff goes out the window and it is set piece after set piece with no break uh we move from one big action east dinosaur eating things scene to the next uh non almost non-stop i i mean there may be a couple of breaks uh, when they're walking, I believe, to the aviary. Uh, there's a little bit of breathing room. And then um, when one character gets discovered, uh, there's a little bit of breathing room. Um, but other than that, it is just nonstop. And I think it really hurts it. I mean, this one clips in just at an hour and a half, uh, which is about 30 minutes shy or more of the other two. Um, and so they are... They're down and dirty just getting in there. I feel like some of the editing is uh, messy, and I think that plays into it. I feel like there's a lot just left on the editing floor. There are moments, I know exactly what you mean, because there's moments even in the editing that especially feel like they've cut to a take that was a reshoot. 
Mm-hmm. There are moments where the the island looks significantly cheaper than others. You know what I mean? There's, yeah. there's moments where it feels like they're definitely on location. Others where you're like, are they really on location here? No, no I know. they went in the mountains there in California. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like there's ones where it's like, oh, they probably did shoot this in Hawaii. And then there's others where it's like, did they just go up to the mountains? Is this a, is this a pickup day? Yeah. I know exactly what you mean because it's – the way they're cut together is just kind of blah. Yeah. Uh, so – there's a lot there that I just don't like. I love that Grant's back. I, I've always loved Dr. Alan Grant. I think he's a, you know, fun character. I, I like him a lot in the original. I wish he'd come back for two. Uh, but, you know, Malcolm was the bigger star. Uh, he was the he was the money guy, and that's who they went with. And, I mean, that's who they fall in the book as well, But and so that made sense. But I always thought Dr. Grant was great. Uh, I think Sam Neill is just fantastic. Uh, I think he does his best. I like the uh, the appearance here of Laura Dern. Uh, I wish she was in it more. I, I think Ellie Sadler is a great character as well. Always more Laura Dern. Yes. I'm uh, excited for her career this year because she's having a big year, I believe. Um, about to have a really big year. Uh, yeah, Star Wars and uh, Twin Peaks uh, Chapter 3. Yeah, so. Uh, I don't know why I called it Chapter 3. Yay, Laura the, Dern. The return or whatever. Yeah, Laura Dern's the best. Uh, big Little Lies last year, man. She's yeah. so good on that show. Uh, and so I, I, I appreciate that. William H. Macy's uh, fun. Um, I like the setup a lot. I like this idea of this kind of desperate Alan Grant uh, kind of selling his soul essentially to to go and get money for funding uh, for his program because he realizes it's drying out. Uh, and I, I like that. And uh, there's a, a lot there I think that really could have worked if they'd given more time to really develop and flesh out the story. But this one's just bad. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Just bad. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? About this film. I will concede that Jurassic Park 3 is not a good Jurassic Park movie. I will not concede that it's a bad movie because it does move at a lean, brisk 90 minutes of dinosaur chases. And you know what? There are worse ways to spend 90 minutes. I I will say that. The aviary uh, set piece is really pretty wild and and fun to watch. The, The raptor chase that precedes that is pretty wild. The plane crash that precedes that is pretty wild. My point is, though, I agree. Those things happen one right after the other without really any moments to stop and breathe and consider what's going on to, like, really appreciate even the craft of the action set pieces. Because even before you have a moment to kind of let one set piece sink in and go, man, that was really cool, there's another thing happening. So, yes, I will agree that that is just a real problem for the its overall quality but in terms of like funness and watchability i i'll say that there, there's something for it uh, there all are also moments to me that i'm like oh this is a pretty good jurassic park movie there are moments like the fact that dr grant still hates ian malcolm to this day he's still like the the, the dig that gets thrown at ian malcolm is really great um ellie Sattler showing up and uh just being great and the misdirect that she has children and they're not Alan Grant's is a really great misdirect that really does kind of sell both of their arcs. Uh, she decided she did want to have kids and raise a family and he did not. And uh, so they've kind of, I mean, cause it never fully implies that there is a, a romantic angle between them in the first one, but the seed is there. You know what I mean? Like there, there is a bit of a yeah. flirtation yeah. Uh, that you see among them as colleagues and you, you see it, he, him not being, very not okay with Ian Malcolm's just like wanton advances on her. He's just like, I fucking calm it down, buddy. Like, it's not even like a that's my girl. It's like, dude, be a professional, calm yeah. down. So, I, I the seeds are planted though, and I like that the opening scene with the two of them yes. is a misdirect that they've had a family yeah. together. I think that's fun. So, it's stuff like that that does kind of carry on. You know, at this point in history, now we've got a fifth movie coming out next year, but at this point in history, you know, fleshing out these 
these journeys. I, I think for me, <clears throat> what feels weird about it is it it feels like a one-off episode of a TV show. You know what I mean? It feels like that one episode from season four of a show that you don't really remember. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel oh, like... It definitely feels like it's made for TV. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. Though. It doesn't, Nova. It doesn't feel like... I'm not, I'm not referring to the quality, because I'll tell you what, CGI still looks really great uh, in some scenes. Now, Arthur made a face <laughs> at me. Yes, there are some moments where you're like, ooh, that's a gross-looking dinosaur. But they're still using a lot of animatronics. They're still trying to hide the computer usage when they do it, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but but it doesn't feel like part three in a beloved franchise. You know what I mean? Like, you make a part three, you're probably assuming that's the last one you're going to make. Like, there's not a lot of times do things go beyond a part yeah. three. And is there any reason to? So it, and it doesn't feel like the closer to the Jurassic Park story. It does decidedly feel ahead of its time, and I don't mean in a good way, ahead of its time where a sequel is just another one. It's yeah. not a continuation of a story. It's just another one. And that is a bummer. And that, that really is the, the film's weakest aspect, is it doesn't feel like a continuation of a story that, you know, captured the world's imagination, like, not even 10 years prior. Uh, it, I mean, this is what, first one's in 93, this movie came out in 2001, and it just feels like, and now another Jurassic Park movie which kind of feels like the route they're going with uh, these Jurassic World movies. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't love Jurassic World. I'm not uh, lit on fire in any capacity by this new trailer, despite the appearance of volcanoes. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a weird trailer. Um, so, again, it, it just does feel like the start of the Jurassic Park franchise being a lesser thing for me. But that said, there's a lot of cool set pieces, and I, I value that. And uh, what? Name one other movie. Name one other movie where a pterodactyl pulls a full Jim Halpert face to camera, <laughs> just full on whips around and does a John Krasinski like eyebrow raise. You know which part I'm talking about, right? Yeah. yeah. So, hey man, that's worth watching alone. Okay, well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I think this movie suffers the same thing that the field of paleontology suffers in a post-Jurassic Park uh, original world. It's boring. Uh, I just don't care. I just don't care. Uh, the wonder and joy of the first Jurassic Park film was a technological wonder of CGI, being able to see live-action characters moving side-by-side side with dinosaurs in a way that had depth and substance to them, in a way that was very, very believable. It also had going for it uh, the great thing that, you know, a little bit of Jaws even has this, this idea of this the science of, a, uh, of, a, of a, a group of animals that we don't understand a whole lot, and we can reveal some of these little ideas and some of the hypothetical, you know, sort of guesses that we might have as to what particular dinosaurs might act like or behave like in whatever way and then you mix that all up with this idea of chaos theory this brilliant idea based on fractal geometry that any aberration in a given system is actually something that you can monitor and you can predict to an extent um, how it's going to uh, continue to uh, bring that system to failure I mean that's all interesting interesting stuff and Jurassic Park 3 has got none of that it has dinosaurs and people running from them and I don't care I do not care um alan grant seems well in, in the in jurassic park one to its credit also has people running from dinosaurs but when people aren't running from dinosaurs you are getting that awesome yes. those, those really interesting the life finds a way and you know the, the really interesting ideas uh, we talked about this you know three years ago now or god probably even longer when we talked about the first jurassic park film on this show the scene where alan grant ties the two ends of the belts the, right the clipping in ends the female ends if you will yeah if you will ties them together life and finds a way man you 
he figures out a way to make the seatbelt work. The female-only dinosaurs on Island A found a way to make more dinosaurs on their own without the help of men in a lab, man. Yeah, and, and so, but it doesn't have any of that. It's just got dinosaurs exactly, in peril. Yes. It just becomes a monster slasher movie, and that's all it is. And and that's fun, but it's not a Jurassic Park movie. No, and that's and I think that's the real weakness. The, the, the great strength of it is that it is ninety minutes long. Yeah, <laughs> it moves at a great clip. <laughs> at least it's over quick. Exactly. And uh, but that that's yeah. So I didn't like it very much. Either. Okay. So uh, there you go, dear listener. Our biases are generally con with uh, Dalton. Being I, I a... know I'm generally con. I'm just trying to give merit where merit is due. Okay. I, I think you're trying to give merit where merit is not due. I'm trying to be a nice. <laughs> I'm trying to be a nice boy. Don't make it harder for me. Well, I don't think Steven Spielberg needs our encouragement. Well, uh, Joe Johnson does because I feel like he's a real workman <laughs> and doesn't get enough credit for just showing up and doing the damn job. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, so there are our biases. Now you are warned. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about how you can be part of the conversation with us all via the magical means of social media. Dalton, say the words. Get rid of social media. It's making us stupider. Uh, but if you choose not to, now well, that's fine. Thank you, as Will well. McAvoy. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, man, I really have, I've reached a, a threshold with it. We're becoming worse. It, social media is part of our lives, and you know what? You should all have it. We should all be aware of it. Don't let your life be consumed by it, and certainly not for this show. But if you're going to be on there, hey, come, come say hi to us. We're on Twitter at good underscore trash. That is the place to let us know, hey, this episode isn't working in my feed. What what do I do? Uh, hey, I liked the time you guys did a marathon about this thing. Have you thought about doing that again or doing this similar thing? That's a place to do that for us. If, if that is, you know, something that uh, you feel like doing, that's at good underscore trash on Twitter. We can also be found on Facebook.com. That's Facebook.com forward slash GTM. Uh, we don't really use it a lot, though. Uh, and that's what you should be doing with Facebook. Not using it a lot. Don't go get in a fight with somebody's, you know, racist cousin that you've never met. Go talk to your parents. You know, go go talk to people you actually like being around and uh, that have bad opinions. I don't know. I don't know what your relationship with your parents is like. Don't be on Facebook. It's not doing you any favors. Just don't, okay? And you don't even really need to be on Twitter either. But if you are going to be, Facebook.com forward slash GTM, Twitter.com at good underscore trash. And, of course, we would really appreciate it if you rate, reviewed, and subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, however you get this podcast into your feed. That would be nice. You know, that that doesn't involve you having to, to wade through um, a discourse that has become, frankly, quite a bit stupider than it needs to be. So, uh, thanks. That That's how you do the social media stuff. Well, after that rousing endorsement, we appreciate that very much. I you get... know what? I just don't want people to feel like they have to be on social media anymore. That's all. You know, you, and you don't have to be, guys uh, and, and gals and people beyond the binary. Don't do it if you don't feel like it. Yeah, we don't have to do anything, but we might as well play the game. Time to play the game! Time to play the game! <laughs> Whoa, that was a good segue. Oh, man. I, oh, buddy. Thank you for that. Uh, that was really uh, real sneaky. I like what you did there. Yeah, we might as well, I guess. Uh, and I guess we might as well play a game about how we like movie sequels. Uh, that's right. This week's game is movie sequels you want on you. Hold on one second. Movie sequels you want with you if you get stranded on an island covered in dinosaurs. Brought to you by Jurassic Park 3. Jurassic Park 3. Probably not going to be one of those sequels. Also, you're going to have power in a DVD player. Apparently. I mean, yeah. So the, the, the conceit is we're doing a marathon of lesser sequels. What are some sequels that you can always revisit and never be bummed about? 
So I go to you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What is your favorite sequels? I'm gonna. I'm gonna. What sh- is what are? What is? What am? What am I? What am your favorite? Uh, that was sequels? the day we became the existential podcast. Um, I'm gonna throw some love to an early '90s sequel uh, that I don't think gets a lot of love, and I think it should because I think the whole little series of two movies is is a lot of fun, and it's a uh, Barry Sonnenfeld's Adams Family Values. Really? Uh, okay. The Adams Family movies are both a lot of fun, and I think the second one is a strong sequel. I think it's a blast. I, like I it. think uh, you know uh, the humor's good. We've got a lot of goofiness going on. Christopher Lloyd is uh, a lot of fun as Uncle Festus, and we've got the kind of Black Widow Fester Fester. Yeah, it's whatever. Festus is the guy on, uh, on uh, <laughs> Gunsmoke. Gun right? <laughs> Marshall Dillon. <laughs> yeah, tomato, tomato. Um, but uh, it, it's a good time, and uh, I, I like the uh, Black Widow kind of uh, storyline they've got going on with Uncle Fester. And then I like, uh, you know, sending the kids off to a bright and cheery summer camp. Oh, is that what happens? Yeah. That's a delightful premise. Yeah, uh, it, it is a good time. Uh, I can't remember. It's like. I can't remember the camp's name. Um, it's oh, something it's like, like Camp Chippewa or something like yeah, that, I believe. It's, it's a very racist yeah. play on a Native American name. Uh, it is. Yeah, it's Camp Chippewa. But yeah, after uh, after Wednesday and uh, Pugsley start to realize that uh, something's not right with uh, Fester's new girl, uh, they decide to ship her off, ship them off to the cheery summer camp. Uh, it's a good time. But I think the, uh, both of those movies, I think, are just a lot of fun. I think they've got a great cast. Angelica Houston, Rawls, Julia, uh, rest in peace. Uh, you know, you've got a great cast and uh, a lot of good chemistry and a lot of good humor. And I think both of those movies really work. And so I think Adam's Family Values is a good sequel. And it's you're going to need some laughs. You're going to need some laughs on an island surrounded by dinosaurs trying to eat you. All righty. Well, thank you very much for that. Okay, Mr. Uh, Dalton Stewart, what is your first selection for my, my first selection favorite sequels? Of favorite sequels came out just earlier this year. Um, it's it's been quite a bit though. It came out at the start start of this year, and I just like it so much. It's John Wick Chapter Two. Um, I'm not just forcing the chapter this time. It is in fact called John Wick Chapter Two. It's so good, guys. Um, I have watched. John Wick probably three or four times in the year it's been out, and I've rewatched part one at least twice this year as well. And I'm here to say J-Dubs 2 is the better one, I think. Uh, I think John Wick 1 is leaner. It's got more emotional stakes that work a lot better. But John Wick 2 is just so wacky and wild and endlessly rewatchable and just has a full mastery of what kind of movie it is and, and the craft of what is going on. And every time you think they have run out of ways for Keanu Reeves to just go ham on people, they find another way to do it and another way that's fun and inventive and enjoyable to watch. And I can't think of a, a, another shootout movie that has a, an entire set piece that I just go, I don't know how they did this. It's got a, it's got a shootout set piece full of like tight, in-close, hand, hand-to-hand fights in a room full of mirrors. Guys, I don't know how they got a fucking camera in that set. I have no idea how there's not a camera in every shot of that sequence, but there's not, and it baffles me, and maybe they just use computers to delete it. I don't care. I just like that, that they're showing off, and I appreciate that. And uh, every time I, I rewatch John Wick 2, uh, every time I have rewatched it this year since its initial release in February, I just find something else that I really like about it. So, so that is my first pick is John Wick Chapter 2. Alrighty, well, go ahead. That's sir. a well. That's a pretty big statement from Dalton because Dalton doesn't rewatch movies, and for him oh. to rewatch the same movie that many times in a year, yeah, is, it's impressive. Yeah, it I, says something about that movie. I don't really. Do, I, I'm going to say at least three. I might have seen it four times already, yeah. though, and it just it's blown me away every time I watched it. Yeah. 
All right, for me, it's an example of a sequel that I will watch above the original, um, almost always, uh, and that is Hellboy Two. Uh, I uh, Hellboy Two is yeah. so good, yeah. and I really, really like it. I mean, I'm already introduced to the world. And I sort of know sort of the yeah. rules and those kind of things, and then just to be involved in this crazy fantasy story uh, that is again almost a uh, a spiritual sequel, also to Pan's Labyrinth yep. uh, from Guillermo del Toro, is just a fantastic and fantastic film. It's heartbreaking. It's moving. It's got all the stuff going on with it. It's got the comedy. It's got the action, and it's just a blast. I love me some Hell. Hellboy 2, and uh, that's the one I would go to. I would go to it before the first Hellboy, in fact. So uh, that is my first pick, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What have you for a next pick? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep it lighthearted. Uh, I'm going back to childhood, and I want Mighty Ducks 2. Uh, nice. On, okay. On my Desert Island right. playlist. I love the Mighty Ducks movies. Is that the one with the Bash Brothers in it? Yeah. Well, they all have the Bash Brothers. Well, the, the, uh, well uh, yeah, yeah, Number yeah. two is yeah, when they, the introduction of yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Three is the Olympic team, right? Two is the Olympic team. Three oh. is when they go to the junior varsity. That's right. The, the college. Pro, they're not at college. It's, it's a high school. It's a high school. Yeah. They're only like 12, dude. That's right. Growing okay. up, I always thought they were going to college, but yeah, no, they're in like a private. It's just like a prep school. It's okay. like two and three. I have seen a lot more than the first one. Yeah, I don't uh, like one. I mean, it's probably the most solid actual like narrative yeah. movie of them. But two and three are so much fun. I, yeah, I just remember the jerseys in two and the the, the whole like there's a cowboy hockey player yes. and yeah, they, yes. they really X men it up. And yeah, like, they do. Get somebody from <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> which I really love. Uh, yeah, this is where we get a. Uh, uh, Keenan, Keenan Thompson. Right? Yeah, Keenan Thompson yeah. shows up for the first time in the second one. Yep. I think. Uh, yeah. The the, the 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 chubby kid that plays Goldberg. The goal, yeah, Goldberg. He's, he's, in, he's in the first one. Yeah, right? he's in the first one. I mean, Averman's in the first. That one. That kid just had a career of being the awesome, funny, chubby friend, and yeah, every child comedy. Heavyweights. Heavyweights. He he's in there. Sandlot too, isn't he? No, the redhead, the redheaded kid is in Sandlot. That's who I'm thinking uh-huh. of. Yeah, oh, man. I think he's only in the third one. Mighty. What a great cast of child actors. Yes, so, some of whom Disney, are still acting. Man, Disney had a run there in the '90s. Yeah, they did. They really didn't. Arthur, that's a strong pick. I really want to like rewatch Mighty the Mighty Ducks, Ducks movies. Yeah, you got to. Mighty <laughs> Ducks Two is a blast and good time. Awesome pick. Appreciate that, Arthur. Okay, Dalton, what's your next pick? My next pick is uh, much like Dustin, a movie that I will go to really before the first one every single time. In fact, it's the only movie in this franchise that I really care about, and that is T2 Judgment Day. Yes. I, I mean, I know it is kind of the most basic-ass answer to this question, what's your favorite sequel, but man, is it good! Because it yep. does it does exactly what Dustin said, right? I mean, we already know that this is a universe with uh, killer cyborgs and time travel. That's all you need to know. Just like Hellboy 2, this is a world where, you know, the son of the devil who is meant to end the world is doing his damnedest to save the world. That's all you need to know about the Hellboy universe. Ditto for or, uh, for uh, T2. You just need to know that time travel and robots are a thing. Go. Um, and let's make it bigger than the first one, which I think is really the strength of that movie. Uh, James Cameron took what worked so well for him when he came in to direct Aliens and basically did it to his own franchise. He said, hey, I did that for another movie. Let's do it for my own movie. And he does a really remarkable job of taking that same world. It's still a family drama. Well, it's not still. It becomes a family drama. He takes it from one woman's story of survival and turns it into one woman's story to survive with her family. Her family just happens to be a guy that looks like a guy that tried to kill her one time and her, her, her crazy teenage son who uh, is playing Eleven. It's his, Edward Furlong's age in that movie is nebulous at best, let's be honest. He's clearly 14, playing like 11, I think is what they say. But uh, it's so good. I mean, you don't need me to tell you how good T2 is. It's wonderful. 
All right. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Um, I am going to say my next is a horror selection um, from the Friday the 13th franchise, and I really like part two. Okay. Which is the first appearance of actual Jason. That's right. This is the one where he's got the burlap sack yeah, on his this head, is, right? This is Gunny Sack Hillbilly Jason. Gotcha. Which is terrifying. But <laughs> I, I think they were able to sort of figure out that formula of the camp, the counselors, and the sort of, you know, uh, swift act of vengeance that's coming forward. And uh, it, that, that's when they really got to where they had something uh, with this and could make a franchise of it. And so for my money, I would watch part two all the time. Part two, maybe part four are probably the two strong standouts. Although I do have some love for part six when it's zombie Jason finally. Now, is part four the one where it's uh, the mental hospital and there's a copycat Jason? No, part four is when they finally kill him. That's part five that's copycat Jason. Yes, part okay. five's not Jason at all. Okay, that's right. Thank yeah. you. I always need you to remind me of the chronology of that franchise. This is the one horror franchise I don't think I've seen any entries in. I have seen... I've J- seen one. I've seen Jason X. I've seen Freddy vs. Jason. I've seen Freddy vs. Jason. And I've seen the remake. Man, I think you're I don't right. think I've seen the remake. I, I think I've only seen, like, the sillier final entries. I don't think I've seen any of the early entries for that franchise. I've eh, just, just seen the first one. I've never really had any interest in it. You know, it's it's not even, not like Nightmare or Halloween where I'm like, I want to see what the deal is. I just don't really care about that franchise. And I see, I, I know people that are very smart, that have very good opinions about it. It's just never, like, like Dustin, Dustin's making a face. Um... Yes, like you. I just have never seen the appeal, so maybe we'll have to do that sometime. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. Maybe for a certain marathon in October? Yeah, perchance, maybe. All right, well, I think we'll go to the uh, trilogy end, uh, the the, the ultimate end after our penultimate picks, and uh, pick our third and final favorite sequels. I go to you first. Arthur Gordon, what say you? Um, This is not necessarily a sequel, but it is regarded by everybody as a sequel, and it is Hot Fuzz. Uh, Edgar Wright's uh, follow-up to Shaun of the Dead, uh, which many argue is a connected trilogy, mostly in style and theme. Um, it's part of a trilogy the same way the Dollars trilogy yeah. is a trilogy. Yeah, uh, but uh, I, I I love it. I mean, it's a, it's a great movie. And when I first really got into this franchise or series of films, not really a franchise, I guess, but uh, I, I, I liked uh, Hot Fuzz more. I always thought Hot Fuzz was the stronger entry, and then I, I grew a lot towards Shaun of the Dead. I, I think Shaun's good, but I think Hot Fuzz is just fun. It's paying so much homage to those action movies that we all really love, and uh, he does a great job of kind of riffing on those and incorporating what works and what's fun and then really riffing on what doesn't work with them and pointing out those flaws and really... Uh, making fun of him and and it's this kind of endearing comedy and it's about you know it's not so much about growing up as you know Sean the Dead is but it is about you know understanding your place in life and you know what your job is and how to be a, a you know a good person and how to not rub people the wrong way yeah uh, yeah how, how to be a part of a community yeah, yeah. And so I, I I really like it, and I think it's uh, just a, a fun. Uh, again, uh, all of these have been comedies in some way, I think, and I think that uh, speaks to my wheelhouse. But also, yeah, if I'm you know trapped in a desolate situation, I'm probably going to try to find humor and joy in life, and I think comedy is the best way to do that. All righty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what is your final pick in the trilogy of sequels? So uh, I, I really thought, I mean, there's a lot of good sequels out there, but I decided to go with one that I, I feel like I, I don't see other people picking because it, it but it, but it is something that I legitimately am really drawn to and I want to make the case for. Is it Adam Sandler values? No, it is Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. I go Return of the Jedi before Empire. Empire I, is the better movie. I'm not here to argue that. I know that Empire is the better movie. 
I just really like Jedi. Fuck Dante from Clerks. No, Jedi has the be- <laughs> Jedi has the better ending. I'm a Jedi Knight like my father before me. This is a dude that is about to kick his dad's ass. And they're like, or has been kicking his dad's ass. And some dude gives him a green light to kill this father that abandoned him. And he goes, no, I'm not going to kill somebody after I beat them. I'm a Jedi Knight like my dad. You know, the guy I just beat up. I'm not going to do it. That's a great ending. That's a great ending to any film, let alone a story of, you know, a three film trilogy about a kid who's an orphan learning about you know his family background uh and learning that he has this sister and learning that his sister is way cooler than him and like learning that his dad was a bad dude and learning how to come to terms with that like yeah man that speaks to me uh on a very deep emotional level and also it's just it's got the best set pieces of the trilogy i think yeah hoth is cool but man that that's that's that fight on the on the sand cruiser above the the pit that's some good stuff man that is that is just good swashbuckling entertainment, and I love it. Um, so yeah, th- there's me. Yes, Empire's the better movie, but man, that opening and closing, uh, those opening and closing numbers for uh, Return of the Jedi just really do it for me. What about Ewoks? I mean, the Ewoks are fine. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Indoor is kind of a wash. It really is. The only scene on Indoor that's great. It's not even the speeder bikes. I don't really care for the speeder bike scene. It's the scene where uh, Luke and Vader meet for the first time after Luke knows that Vader's his dad. It's the first time they've gotten to talk since their fight on uh, uh, Cloud City. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's my favorite scene on Endor. It's the only scene on Endor that I think really works other than, uh, you know, the Leia getting to throw out a I know. But, uh, yeah, Endor doesn't work, but everything else just works so well that uh, I really love it. So judging from the one scene you picked, we all know Dalton hates trees. I, I, I mean, yeah, they're, they're big redwoods. They're beautiful trees. But uh, it just... But you hate them all. I, I love the trees. And I, I don't dislike the Ewoks. Ooh. I just don't... Okay, we're not going to have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not, it's not a bad pick at all. I appreciate that very much, uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I am also moving into that sort of 80s nostalgia-verse also for my last pick. And uh, it... It is the third installment of the Indiana Jones series. I love Last Crusade. Last Crusade's Last, great, man. Yeah, my, I would rather watch it than any of the rest of the Buddy, movies. I'm right. I, uh, I'm so. I don't. I can't believe we've never talked about this. I feel the same way. And I. Uh, I mean, over the first one. No, yeah, I, I love I, Last Crusade. Yeah, I, I mean, I, te- uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark's fine. And Temple, maybe it's because Doom's fun. Maybe but, it's because it's the one I grew up watching the most. Yeah. but man, it's good. That's well, the only one I actually own. Really? But I, and I'll watch it all the time. I, it's I, good. I love it. It's great. So much. It's the father-son stuff, probably. Probably. It speaks I, to me. I get that. So, well, there you go, dear listener. Those are our favorite sequels. We'd like to hear yours via those magical means of social media already mentioned. But we're going to get down to business at this And we're back, and I got nothing to say. Dalton, help us. I will do my best to lead the discussion. Why? Uh, Why? Why did you let him out of his bed? See, see I'm, yeah, I'm the only one that thinks that there's anything. Spared, no expense. We, no expense was spared. I'll tell you that much. That's why we have uh, Dalton. We have this bl- this beautiful Chilean sea bass for you. I've got a cartoon with talking DNA. Um, thank you guys for letting <laughs> no me. No DNA. So off mic, Dustin made the the argument that uh, this is very much a paycheck movie for everybody involved, and I think that, and again, while, while you can't know that for certain i think it happens in the text of the film right yeah the first time that alan grant goes to jurassic park when he goes to uh, Ila 
Nublar? Is that the first one? Yeah, that's Sonar? Sorna? Sorna. Sorna. Thank you. Uh, So when he goes to Nublar, I mean, he is excited about the possibility of seeing dinosaurs up close and in person, right? He is thrilled by it. Come part three, uh, going to Site B, where he's never actually been, he's horrified by it. He doesn't want to do it. In fact, the only reason he goes is so he can fund what he actually wants to do. Uh, and I think that there is something interesting about that. You know, I, I don't think Steven Spielberg allowed his name to be attached to another Jurassic Park movie. And I don't think he roped his buddy Joe Johnson into it because they really wanted to. But Joe Johnson kind of wanted to make a Jurassic Park movie because he had so much fun. Saw him. I don't know if he actually worked on the other two, but I know no, him I and Spielberg were friends during the production of those two. Because uh, he almost directed Lost World, uh, I found out uh, doing research about this movie. Um, so that, that's an interesting thing. So what do you guys think? I mean, about the idea that uh, Alan Grant takes this moral compromise, not only uh, just personal morality, but also puts his own safety in harm's way. He he has to know that this could go sideways. And he does it because he wants to keep funding what he finds is important research, which is digging up these dinosaur bones. Yeah, I, I I really do think, and I think this is where some more exposition could have really been handy because I think this is a guy who's probably suffering from some sort of P, P, PTSD. Yeah, he has a dream about uh, a raptor talking to I him. I hate that scene it's so It's so much. stupid. That's the but most it, absurd thing. He does have nightmares about the island. Yes, and and, and the scene As with Ellie. Yeah. yeah, and the scene with Ellie is another really give uh, key element of that, you know, his condition and where everybody's at mentally and after this, you know, experience. And they've all written books about the experience, yeah. so they've all had time to parse through it yeah and so cash in well potentially Ooh, uh but yeah i i i do think uh it's it's an interesting move for him to make but i think it's the move of a desperate man you know uh in the story i mean this is a guy who's seeing all of his avenues drying up and then paleontology is dying and you know the interest in his field of you know uh expertise is dying as we see at the seminar as he's trying to give his speech and wrapping up and everybody's just leaving they don't care people anymore. just want to talk about Jurassic Park yeah 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 i don't know i mean it, it's definitely a thing in the meta sense in which we sort of have this uh, standard hollywood fable that's told where uh, a filmmaker will go and make this big glutted whatever and by doing this for the studio one for them one for yourself and then you get one for yourself uh, the, the the famous story i think the only story really where we could document this happen is uh, with Dino De Laurentiis Productions and uh, uh, David Lynch. He made uh, Dune, and uh, after producing Dune, he was given the green light to go ahead and make Blue Velvet. And uh, there is a truth. It was a two-picture deal, and it was like, make this for me, and I'll let you make whatever you want. Well, and that is kind of uh, the the rumor on uh, Nolan's career yeah. arc is that he they let him do Inception because he agreed to do a third Batman movie. Yeah, and they were see. I know. I don't know if there's truth to yeah. that, but that is that is the uh, the potentially apocryphal tale, apocryphal, apocryphal tale. And it, it seems, but you know that's a fact for the Lynch, the I, production on Dune for, for for Lynch. And but the thing is that Blue Velvet already was an idea. He's like, hey, you want to make this? I want to make these two. Would you do both of them for me? Mm-hmm. And and so it was it was a contract, but it wasn't so much like a one for me, one for you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Although De Laurentiis did think because Frank Herbert's Dune was this huge, massive science fiction success that everybody loved. Uh, of course, turns out the film was a total flop because it's sort of unfilmable as a uh, as a thing although i have a, a bit of love for dude there are a lot of people who have a soft spot for it, it. it it's weird in a way that I, I really kind of enjoy also uh, i think i want to watch it with young you. patrick stewart is just fun <gasps> in the, yeah young Pat- i had no idea yeah very very youthful patrick stewart is in it so yeah we're gonna have to watch this movie right, together oh, man, okay yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i'm all in but 
That being said, and I, I, by the way, I'm just going to tell you this right now on mic because I want you to know this about my my access to Dune. I'm so there, excited. There is a, an extended cut. Yeah, I'm aware that there's a, there's a longer a cut. theatrical cut, mm-hmm. and then there was a different cut for television. And all three of those cuts have, have scenes that are not in the other two. Each one has the, and I have a super cut in which everything is in there. So how long is it like? It's like four three hours. hours and fourteen minutes or something like God, that. God, ridiculous, buddy. I am so there for this. But <laughs> anyway, I mean, we, Hollywood tells this apocryphal tale all the time, though, and I think the reason why it does is it, it's it's a way of sort of like uh, reputation management. Well, it's 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 the thing that Hollywood does all the time, right? Hollywood excels at making stories, and that's yeah. not just stories that get put on screen, but it's the stories about the people putting things on screen. Right, and they're good at making their own myths. And so, oh yeah, that was a bad movie, but they did that because they've got a passion project here on the side that they really want to work on, and it's a way to sort of excuse something that's a box office failure when it's something that on paper looks like the thing that everybody's going to end up loving. Well, and I think that brings us to the next thing that I want to talk about in a kind of roundabout way because. What is going on here is Alan Grant does not want to talk about the thing that everybody wants to talk about, right? Alan Grant does not want to talk about, as he calls them, these uh, genetically engineered theme park monsters. And you could make the argument that uh, this is exactly what's happening on the screen, right? Yes, they're digitally engineered theme park monsters, not uh, genetically engineered theme park monsters, but... They are a digital approximation of what dinosaurs might have looked like, and we are shoveling this onto people in mass without really asking them to consider the interesting science behind how we know what these dinosaurs look like, right? A lot of work went into knowing how fast these these animals can move could have moved, right? Took a lot of know-how to go, well these bones fit together like this, so the musculature would have been like this, which means it could run this fast. And Alan Grant is desperately trying to keep people fascinated in something well, they already know what it looks like. They already saw Jurassic Park. They don't need to go take a class about uh, paleontology. They they can go watch Jurassic Park. And while that is the text of the movie, people just want to talk about Jurassic Park, I think there, you could probably make the argument that that happened. Again, I don't know any paleontologists, uh, so I don't know that to be a fact. But I think there is something interesting that Alan Grant is saying, no, just because you've seen what a dinosaur might have looked like doesn't mean we know everything about dinosaurs. Uh, Do you think Alan Grant is excited by these animals still, though? Because that is the the idea presented to him by this little boy, right? I liked your first book because you still liked dinosaurs then. And he says, well, they had tried to eat me yet. Um, So where do you think Alan Grant is? Because later on, the kid goes, I don't know, Mr. Grant, look at that shit. Like... It's pretty cool, right? So by the end of this movie, where do you think Alan Grant is? Do you think he's accepted there's something cool about Jurassic Park, uh, this place that he clearly hates with every fiber of his being? Well, I think there's still some love. I mean, I think about his uh, beginnings of giving a, a tour guide while he's in the plane, and he's talking yeah. about the Barachiosaur yeah. pod that, it, that they're driving or flying past. Uh, I, I think he is in love with dinosaurs, actual dinosaurs. But I think he has definitely drawn a sharp mental distinction between dinosaurs that actually once lived, which we can only sort of hypothesize what they are like, uh, versus, again, John Hammond's genetically modified monsters. And uh, so for him, they don't even count. And he's kind of disgusted that everyone wants to take this sort of short, easy route and say, okay, now I get them. I understand dinosaurs because I've seen, you know, the thing loose in San Diego and we have some um, understanding of what's on Elisorna now. And uh, that that now we have all the information that we need. And he's like, no, you really don't because what you have is not what existed. 
and what existed is what's fascinating. Does that make sense? I think it does make sense because, as I recall, in Jurassic Park 1, Alan Grant's argument against them, because there, there's the big scene, right, where Hammond gets pissed off because the lawyer is the only one on his side, and he's the one that he assumed he'd, he assumed he'd have to convince the lawyer that this was okay. And, in fact, he has to convince the scientists. In part one, as I recall, his argument isn't, you know, these aren't real dinosaurs. You're doing things you, you don't understand. It's, it's, are you sure you can take care of these creatures? Are you sure we were supposed to bring them back? And by part yeah. three, as much as he still has contempt for Malcolm, right, he's kind of making the same arguments that Malcolm made in part one, which yeah. is kind of interesting. It's, these aren't dinosaurs, and you have introduced chaos into the this, this system that is our uh, ec- that our, our, our existing ecosystem. You've exist- introduced new chaos into it. And you were assuming you can control every variable in this thing that you've introduced. Well, he says that thing to him before the dinosaurs try to eat him. So that that really might be part of it too. Is this that's that, that's a fair that's the point yeah. that I'm making though. Yeah. Is now that the dinosaurs have tried to eat him not once but twice, he really does kind of come around to have the same viewpoints as this guy he really didn't care for. Yeah, he becomes Quint from Jaws. So, uh, do, do you think that the the little kid cracks him at all? Do you think the the little kid does make the case to him in a compelling way? Where we're, I mean, because we've just, as far as we know, watched Billy die, and uh, you know, this kid just watched this grown man die to save his life, and they come around the bend, and there's these brachiosaurs again. And he goes, "Hey, look at these, look at these great things, Doctor Grant." Do you think Doctor Grant buys it in that moment? Do you see in his face that like maybe he he does see some wonder there still? I don't know. Yeah. I, I I mean, I think he's always going to have that childlike wonder. Mm-hmm. I mean, no matter what, there's still something just, I guess, you know, surreal and dreamlike, you know, that these creatures are, I mean, there's something still unbelievable about it, I think. No matter how many, you know, two times, yes, but still, I mean, there's still something, I think, unbelievable there. Like, could this really be happening? And I think deep down, he's probably always going to have that kind of wonder but I don't know if he's going to be able to move past the jaded, uh, cynical view. And, and and like Dustin said, that kind of separation of man-made uh, creature clones rather than the the authentic original species. And I, I, I don't know, you know, if he, if he can move past that at that point. So for me, I think the last thing that I, I think we should try to address is – for me, what was the one scene in the movie that I was like, okay, there might be something to this. And maybe maybe I can use this scene to convince you guys that it's not a total wash. Because it's the one moment that I'm like, okay, there might be something to this. So when Billy dies, right, the, the, the conceit is that Billy has stolen these velociraptor eggs. Uh, Dr. Grant's uh, assistant, I guess. Uh, Billy steals these velociraptor eggs and he's like, oh, we got to take them back to the mainland. Like, we can sell them and they'll fund our research for decades. And he's like, fuck you, man. Like, how could you even think of that? You're profiting off of the deaths of all these people. You are no better than the people that built this place. And after Billy's uh, apparent death, and you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say I'm glad they don't kill Billy. I'm glad he's miraculously found alive and well. Like, I I appreciate the happy ending. But anyway, when Dr. Grant assumes uh, Billy's dead, he says to the kid whose name escapes me. uh, Eric. Thank you. He says to Eric, you know, this is the last thing I said to Billy, and that was shitty. Uh, because Billy's not like that. Billy is just a young guy full of wonder and adventure uh, who who wants us to keep being able to do the work we're doing. And he posits to Eric, and I'll paraphrase, that there are two kinds of people, doers and thinkers, right? He says there's two kinds of boys, astronauts and astronomers. But I'll, I'll say there are two kinds of, of children. There's two kinds of little kids, thinkers and doers, kids who want to know all the information and kids that want to experience all the experiences. 
do you guys find, especially you, Dustin, as a dad, but also Arthur, um, you and I can just think about this as in terms of yourself as a child and just people in general. Do you, do you guys think there is credence to the idea that there are, are dreamers and doers or thinkers and doers? Well, I, I don't know. I don't like the binary of it. I, I don't either, but I think that, uh, go ahead and try to wrestle with it as best you can because I think it's a good jumping off point. Well, I, I think there's probably a better way in uh, mm-hmm. for, for different people. I, I do think there's that, that there's an extent to which a person might, if you give me the ideas, the information, you sort of like whet my appetite with the idea of this thing, and then they say, now, do you want to go? And they were like, oh, yeah, I, I definitely want to go, as opposed to the child who might say, oh, let's go do this thing. Oh, that was amazingly fun. And then they have this voracious appetite for all the information thereafter, right? And so I, I, don't, I don't like the idea of sort of like splitting it out, you know, the sort of the cerebral and the, and the somatic. You know, I, I don't want to have that sort of like, you know, class system design, um, you know, for children or anybody uh, for that matter. But I do think there are ways in which we connect on an, on a, on an easier way, on an easier level. That for us it might be easier to say, hey, once I, I, I understand, hey, this stuff's very, very cool, so now I want to know more of the things, right? But having been there, been the place, and done the thing. Or I might say, I love doing this stuff, so now I want to do this. You know, uh, my, my youngest son wants to be an uh, underwater photographer right now because he's 10, and they always want to do things like this. And I hope he does. I mean, it'd be great if he does, and he's probably going to change his mind because he's 10, but whatever. But the, the thing that does it for him, though, was uh, something more of a bodily experience. It was going to uh, one of those uh, sort of aquarium experiences and getting to handle little fish things and the horseshoe crab and you know doing all that kind of stuff. It's like, and so that tactile experience for him is like, now I got to know everything there is to know about all these underwater creatures, and I want to go underwater and I want to take pictures of them. And I'm like, all right, so for him it was he wanted to be the astronaut that uh, develops uh, a greater love of astronomy, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. Arthur, what do you think about this this binary? I don't know. I mean, you know, from my own personal experience, I'm the kind of person I just like to experience. You, you know, mm-hmm. you said last week you you uh, we were talking off air and you you made the joke you like to know. Uh, what did you say? You like to know a little bit about a lot of things or something like that. I can't remember. Exactly, yeah, exactly. I, what you something that effective. I, I like being the guy that knows a little yeah. about a lot. Yeah, yeah. and that's that's kind of where I land. I, I you know I like to experience things and see what it's like and see what things are so just so I can have that experience. And I feel like as a creative type. Especially someone you know who you know, at some points likes to dabble with writing or something like that. I think it's hard to be able to engage or capture the human experience if that experience isn't there. If that makes sense. No, absolutely. Uh, and so I think I don't know really where that lies in either version of you know you know I guess it's more the thinker aspect if we're going to put it in these two dichotomies. Uh, and so you know just from that personal experience, I, I, I you know I think I might lay more there, but I think that kind of blurries the picture in as. In, the, in and of itself, is that I don't know if those hard and fast lines can be drawn so well. And I, I think I'm, in, I'm inclined to agree uh, because I see in myself what, you know, when Dustin, uh, you know, started, you mentioned the idea that, you know, some people like to whet their appetite with some, some cursory knowledge and then go experience something. And I see myself in that. And I think for me, the one thing that does work that makes this an effective sequel is that it does close out alan grant's story in a somewhat interesting way and it is only so much as that you know not really a character arc between one and three but really we get a character who hasn't had much of an arc between these two movies right the character arc between alan grant the start of Jurassic park one and the end of Jurassic park one is really just 
having an appreciation for children. I mean, that's really the only character arc we get. For this one, though, I think what's interesting is I think Alan Grant doesn't see himself as an adventurer. And uh, I think um, that's what he gets by the end of three. He sees that Billy's okay. And I think he does, you know, to kind of go back in time a topic or two. I think by the end of the movie, he does have an appreciation for how badass it is that somebody made dinosaurs, right? Um, he's still angry that people got hurt and people died, and he's still mad at the the wanton carelessness with which John Hammond and his team of engineers played God. But he also does admire the brilliance and the audacity that it took. And he does see himself now as somebody who can go and be with these things in person, survive these crazy things. Um, I, I think he has a newfound uh, appreciation for his own ability to overcome adversity uh, because of this second experience. And I think I think even by the end of the movie, he realizes there's no binary, right? Because he talks about Billy as this, this doer and throughout the movie is himself a doer, is the one that keeps all of these people alive on this island. Yeah, Billy gets the badass hero moment with the parachute where he saves Eric, but it's Dr. Grant that keeps all of these people alive. And I think by the end of the movie, he sees that and sees that uh, maybe this line that he drew in the sand for himself. That, no, I'm a paleontologist. I can't, I can't be an adventurer. I can't go off and help people. I, I think he realizes that, that was a bullshit handicap that he put on himself. And I think that is the one time that this movie does find some value and some reason to be, you know, yet another entry in this franchise is that we get more of the story of uh, Sam Neill's Alan Grant. And honestly... Give me more Sam Neill all the live long day. All righty. Well, I think that's some good stuff, and I think we've more than adequately fossilized Jurassic Park. Uh, so let's move on. Yeah, to we the- will not be talking about Jurassic World anytime soon on this podcast, and uh, I don't feel like we're going to go pick up uh, the the Lost uh, Kingdom. No, wait. What's the second Lost one called? World. Lost World. Lost World. Lost Kingdom is a new one. Fallen Kingdom is a new Kingdom. one. Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, we're not going to pick up the new one, and we're not going to go back and, uh, and snag uh, the Lost World. So this is probably the last time we're talking about Jurassic Park. You know what we are going to do? What's that, Dustin? Render a verdict. Ah, Shelf yes. or trash, else or instead. So I go to you first, Arthur Gordon. What do you say for Jurassic Park 3? Shelf or trash, else or instead? This is trash. Easily. Uh, throw it right in there. Uh, no apologies whatsoever. But I, I, I agree with Dalton. I think you need more Sam Neill in your life. Uh, and so I'm going to offer up some more good trash uh, pairings with this. Else instead, however you want to read it. Uh, but I, I, I'm going to say Event Horizon uh, you go with. Uh, if you uh, if you like Hellraiser, if you like Things in Space, uh, combine those two and you get Sam Neill uh, having some fun. Uh, if you like Sam Neill going crazy, you could also watch In the Mouth of Madness, the John Carpenter film. An, an underrated film. Yeah. Carpenter or Craven? It's Carpenter, right? Carpenter. Okay, okay. Uh, but yeah, uh, and so those are fun. Uh, and then finally, another show that you guys talked about earlier this year, uh, and Daybreakers. So if you want to see uh, Sam Neill as a vampire, uh, check that one out because that one's a lot of fun as, as well. And so uh, get you some more Sam Neill uh, because he's, uh, he's underappreciated, I think. I, I, I like to see him. Excellent. I like that very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say, Dalton? Show for trash, else or instead? Guys, you know, it's, it's trash. It's quite bad. Um, I know that I'm, I really did try to earnestly make a case for it, and I stand by all my statements, but this is not a movie worth your time. I mean, if you're, if you're uh, like uh, Stephen Ray Morris, uh, the delightful uh, gentleman who is the producer of um, My Favorite Murder and the host of the Purrcast, he wrote a book called... Um, Oh my gosh, I forgot the name of the book. I'm so sorry, Stephen. But uh, Stephen Ray Morris, uh, who we interviewed way back in the People's History of Film Days, uh, wrote an entire book about Jurassic Park. And yeah, if you're writing a book about Jurassic Park or you consider yourself 
the diehard Jurassic Park fan, yeah, you got to watch part three. He also hosts a podcast about Jurassic Park. Does he do a Jurassic yeah, Park podcast? It's called See Jurassic Right. Okay, there you go. See Jurassic Right. So go go check out what Stephen Ray Morris is doing because he's a good guy and he likes Jurassic Park. But other than that, no, you do not need to see Jurassic Park three unless you're a real uh, series completionist or want to be a series scholar. You can just skip it. I mean, it's not good. I would also agree with Arthur. Uh, that you need to go find those Sam Neill gems. Um, I'm going to also recommend In the Mouth of Madness um, because I like it a lot, and I think much like Jurassic Park 3, it is very easy to not see its merits. Um, now, In the Mouth of Madness actually has merits. I don't know that Jurassic Park 3 has a lot other than that bitch and aviary scene. Um, well, again, okay, and the raptor chase is pretty good. But, again, it's just set pieces. Mouth of Madness has got all kinds of wacky, weird stuff that, that's really fun. So you got to check that out. Um, what else should you do? I'm actually going to go ahead and say you should watch The Lost World, though. Um, I will say that what The Lost World does is it takes the, the character stuff that makes Jurassic Park 1 so good. Uh, it, it takes the, the character beats with uh, Dr. Sattler and Dr. Grant and lets Ian Malcolm have all those moments in Part 2. Um, and what it also does is give you these crazy set pieces that we get in 3 and put it in a much better movie. Because the second act of Jurassic Park 2 is a slasher movie. I mean, Richard Schiff gets ripped in half by two T-Rexes. There's velociraptors taking people out in, like, this giant grass field so you can't see where the danger's at. Part 2 is full of great kind of horror set pieces, honestly. And um, that's what Jurassic Park 3 wants to be. It wants to be a Jurassic Park movie with all these awesome, you know, scary moments. And it doesn't really execute any of them very well. Whereas I feel like 2 just has some really terrific scares and i shouldn't say that about part three that plane crash was legitimately like in, insane to watch like it was really quite impressive so i, I feel like we, I, we've been way too mean to joe johnson <laughs> i mean we, he, he's a successful director he doesn't need us to be nice to him but i also don't want to beat up on him either you know what i mean i don't want to be overly mean because making movies is hard i don't, don't want to be an asshole um i think there's something to like about part three but all the things that there are to like about part three are done just so much better in part two. And that, that's what I would recommend. Um, last but not least, if you are looking for another people getting picked off and having to survive against all odds movie, let's go ahead and uh, we, we've already mentioned James Cameron once this episode. Let's go ahead and go back and pick up aliens because it is probably the all time great bunch of people in a dangerous situation getting picked off one by one movie. I mean, it, it really is. <laughs> uh, Dustin, you have a, a better suggestion? Predator. I do. You'll hear it later. Oh, okay. All right. I want to see his suggestion. All right. I'm done. Dustin, chill for trash, obviously trash. trash what are your trash, what, trash, what, trash, Okay, but trash. what are your insteads? So, now uh, I'm really interested. For, for your uh, technology uh, animatronics uh, use of cinema, I think you should go back to 1934's King Kong. Okay. And yeah. uh, take a look at that, especially the Skull Island stuff. I think it's fantastic. And then my favorite slasher in a jungle. Okay. Predator. You're right. I'm so sorry. I, I can't believe I yeah. didn't think about it. Yeah, you were so wrong. You, you're absolutely <laughs> no, You know what? Dustin's right. I am wrong. Aliens is a great yeah. people getting picked off movie. But yeah, Predator's in the jungle. Also, uh, also has its own weaker third part in Predators, which is uh, yeah. uh, really kind of follows uh, a similar plot structure to Jurassic Park yeah. 3 in that they figure out where they're at. They figure out what the stakes are. And then it turns out there's somebody that's there that knows the stakes better than they do. But isn't Predator 2 so wacky and awesome? Predator 2? Yes. Oh, Predator 2 is good. With Dana Glover? Yes. Yeah, Predator so 2 is great. Awesome. Yeah. But anyway, sorry. I, no, Predators and Predator 2 are both wacky and really fun. Yeah. I, I think they're both really fun. But no, neither of them's any anywhere close to Predator. You're predator right. 2, Babe in the City. That's right. 
here's the thing about uh, Predator and Predators. Predators and Predator is much harder to talk about together than Alien and Aliens. That's just my uh, my take on it. It's harder. It's harder to say. It's a real get, mouthful. When do we get the new Predators? Uh, oh, the the new 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 one. Yeah. Predators. Predator, I think it's just called the Predator. Um, I think next year. Cool. Yeah, it's uh, there's a poster for it. I know. I Shane mean, Black. Yeah, Shane Black's writing and directing it. Yeah, it'll nice. be fun. Yes. So, um, nice. yeah, go watch all that stuff we just talked about. You don't need to watch Jurassic Russell Crowe is the Predator. But I'll tell you what you do. God, need if watch. only. Oh man, you need to watch the third installment of our trilogy of sequels. Ah, uh, yes. Which will be a dun, dun, dun. another third film. Lesser trill. Lesser uh, three equals part one. Part one, and that will be the third installment of the Batman franchise. That's right, gang. We're gonna be taking a look at Joel Schumacher's Batman. Forever. This will be the fourth Schumacher movie we've done this year. It's been a lot of Schumacher this I, year. This year? Yeah, we've done a lot of Schumacher, Schumacher this year. Uh, and then if you include last year, we did Lost Boys. Uh, yeah. So over the last two years, we have knocked out a big chunk of Schumacher's filmography. And what better way that uh, next week will be our last, our next episode will be our last proper episode of the year. And what better way to close out 2017 than revisiting one of our uh, most beloved filmmakers in good trash cinema, uh, the one that we've tackled the most in 2017, Joel Schumacher. So that's us signing out, guys. We'll keep watching and we'll keep talking and we'll see you all next time. I recall the time they found those fossilized mosquitoes and before long they were cloning Thanks for tuning in to the Good Trash Genrecast. The Good Trash Genrecast is a product of Good Trash Media. For more info on all things Good Trash Media, head on over to goodtrashmedia.com. Our intro this week, as always, is a film supercut brought to you by our very own Arthur Gordon, featuring the music of the Wonder Woman score by Junkie XL and Hans Zimmer. And our outro music is Jurassic Park by Weird Al Yankovic. Jurassic Park is frightening in the dark. All the dinosaurs are Off in the rain I admit it's kinda eerie But this proves my chaos theory And I don't think I'll be coming back again Oh no I cannot approve of this attraction Cause getting disemboweled Always makes me a huge tyrannosaurus ate our lawyer Well, I suppose that proves they're really not all bad Jurassic Park is frightening in the dark All the dinosaurs are running wild Someone let T-Rex out of his pen I'm afraid those things will harm me Cause they sure don't act like Barney And they think that I'm their dinner, not their friend
dinosaurs are right.